Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. I'm super excited that eToro is sponsoring Untold Stories because the CEO of eToro has been tweeting about Bitcoin since 2012. That's true OG. Now, eToro has become one of the largest crypto companies in the world with over $1 trillion in trading volume per year. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets with extraordinarily low and transparent fees. And if you're not ready to trade yet, practice building your crypto portfolio with the eToro $100,000 virtual trading feature. Best of all, you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders around the world, myself included, to discuss trading, charts, and all things crypto. Create an account today at eToro.com. Links are in the show notes and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Scott Offord, the creator of Crypto Mining. Scott's a broker of ASIC mining gear and helps people buy and sell their miners. He created a Bitcoin mining profitability calculator and an interactive ASIC hardware comparison chart that you can find at cryptomining.tools. It's the only free online tool for calculating profitability and days to ROI. That includes the impact of the Bitcoin block reward having. The calculator lets you put in your estimated uptime to give you a more realistic profit projections. So check it out and find Scott on Telegram and Twitter at O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. That's O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. Links are in the show notes. Untold Stories is powered by Blockworks Group, the only event and podcast production company I trust. For access to the premiere digital asset conferences, and in-depth podcast content, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Today, my guest is Samson Mao. You all know him if you haven't been living under a rock for the past three years. He's the chief strategy officer for Blockstream, was the chief operating officer for BTCC or Bitcoin China, BTC China, um, which is Samson when, when we're actually where we we, we spoke uh, a few times and currently the CEO of, of Pixelmatic, a gaming company. Welcome to the show, Samson. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for having me on. I have to say that like, um, I think I read a Twitter, a Twitter uh, thread once where you called someone a troll and I was like saying to myself, I was reading that I was like, you know, being called a troll by Samson, it's like a term of endearment. <laughs> like it's like a, it's it's flattering. Like if you if you went if you went and 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 like said that to someone, I if you said that to me, I I'd, I'd be flattered because you take you t- and I you know like the term trolling is is not a negative thing because a lot of times it's out of love, but a lot of times it's being critical in a way to incite emotion from someone else and call other people out on bullshit and lying because that's what people do. Um, you're known uh, um, of calling people out by um, saying things like the straw man argument, the red herring. A lot of these terms I actually learned from you. I didn't know what a red herring was or the straw man argument or things like that. I didn't know what that was. So, <laughs> um, you know, you, you've been professionally involved in, in the crypto space and a lot of, but not only the crypto space, you've been, professionally involved in the gaming space um and from from before you were involved in bitcoin and there's actually a wiki about you on like 
um, a, a completely non-crypto website. And so a lot of people think that trolls are just people sitting in their parents' basement, which which I was doing actually in the early days of Bitcoin. But um, you come from a very professional career and you very quickly uh, succeeded in being the executives, uh, being an executive uh, from two of the top companies in the Bitcoin space. My question is, my first question really is like, where did you, where did your your such strong stance for Bitcoin, but really publicly calling people out on bullshit? Where did that come from? Probably from uh, from gaming, because uh, you know when you're a hardcore gamer, you're playing online games or MMOs. You know people are very blunt and they're not very <laughs> they don't, they don't pull any punches. They're not that diplomatic, and they just say what they think. So I think it's useful. Rather than beating around the bush and being very polite and, you know, talking a lot of nonsense, it's better just to cut right through it and just call things what they are. And I think a lot of people don't like that. But as you said, it's um, it's needed because you someone has to call people out, right? Unless or else no one will ever say anything. Everything everyone will say, oh, your project's wonderful. Your project's great. And then we have... Uh, well, more scams than we do today or more scammy scam. It's not just with Bitcoin, though. I mean, you look at the Hong Kong protest today. You look at what goes on around the world. When people are afraid to speak their mind and we, we suppress or censor people from being able to say whatever they want to say, how they want to say it, the whole point of freedom of speech is the ability to say something that someone else may not like, right? And that's like the essence of Bitcoin, which is a, it's a censorship-resistant system. Mm-hmm. That's right. It it is. It's extremely important, and um, I think it really came to light and prominence, and it opened up people's eyes when there was the whole um, Segwit uh, user activated soft fork. Um, that whole you know, what do we call that? Was that like a saga? Was that a a time period in in a certain time? What would you? Well, how would you describe that whole event? <laughs> There's a lot of terms for it. I mean, yeah. some people call it the Bitcoin civil war. Some people call it the fork wars, uh, you know, the scaling debate. There are a few terms. I prefer Bitcoin civil war because, you know, it, it's not really a debate. I mean, you can only have a debate when there's two logical sides discussing, you know. But I wouldn't position. call it a civil war because a civil war, I feel like, describes, I'm thinking of like the American civil war. It, decri- it, it describes like two majorities going head to head. But really what happened, what seemed like, at least from my end, was a, a, a well-funded, super vocal, super minority trying to be the loudest voice in the room. Well, yeah, but the other side was like Coinbase and all these massive corporations. So, you know, I, I think from a neutral bystander's perspective, it, it looked like pretty, it looked like two big sides. Maybe. What do you think? No, I think I think that good intentions are not transferable. And and so there were like, from my perspective, because um, I was I came personally, I came late into that into that whole drama. And so mm-hmm. from my perspective, I missed, you know, there was the whole Hong Kong agreement and everything. I was away for all of that. So I didn't know about any of this. And so from my perspective, when I jumped in, and maybe it wasn't a good idea to do that, it seemed like the best way the best way forward were to be a compromise. And so um, I'll admit that I 
and not technically savvy enough to understand at the time what the technical ramifications uh, were and are of increasing the block size and even creating the precedent for increasing the block size. And I think, I think I forget who coined it the best. I think it was Greg Maxwell who said, "You're you're trying to to create a political solution to a technical problem." And I think that was what the issue was, mm-hmm. and that's you know from from the outset. Yeah, I think that's a good way to frame it. I mean, it's under the guise of scaling, and you could say some people may not have understood it, and some may have been maliciously trying to push something through. But under the guise of scaling, you can do a lot of damage. You can set these precedents, like we can change things at will. We can have you know corporations governing Bitcoin, and we can have people dictating what happens under development instead of the normal open source uh, process where ideas are uh, evaluated based on merit. And then we see what happens when, you know, with Bitcoin Cash and, and Bitcoin SV or BSV or BK, I mean, whatever you want to call it, you see what happens extremely negatively, how that turns out. It's centralized and controlled um, currencies or, you know, they're not even currencies. But I mean, when shit hits the fan with with Bitcoin Cash, everyone calls up Roger and says, what's going on? And that in and of itself is a problem. There shouldn't be centralized people doing anything. Um, and so much. I guess it's good in a way that that uh, that, that forked off. It, it, yeah. it was a benefit, I feel like. Well, I think the whole process, whatever you want to call that event in history, <laughs> it was a needed part of Bitcoin's uh, growing up because we had to get that out of our systems. And it was like it, puberty. Kind of. It, it forced a lot of people to learn how Bitcoin works and what can and cannot be changed. And I think in the end, it's it's valuable. Even though it was painful and annoying, it was valuable in the end. There was a lot of people um, behind the scenes from, you know, with the whole Craig Wright, Roger Veer, um, Jihan side that were putting a lot of money in order to get their own agenda for power reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, not for the better of, of Bitcoin. And I think guys like me who who were involved from very early, we never thought that that could happen. I guess I never really believed that there would be like this deep state within Bitcoin, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. But as we saw, that actually existed. And I think that's what hurt the most is that people who were involved in Bitcoin early on were doing these things and actually trying to take over uh, Bitcoin. And it, I guess it never occurred to me that Bitcoin would be something that was even take or take take over a bull. Is that even a word? <laughs> you just made it one. You see where I'm going with this? Like I didn't. Yeah. I guess it, I was like personally a little. I have to say, like burn out. Um, and a lot of people did. A lot of some of my guests that won't won't you know aren't involved in the space anymore just got so burnt out by the fighting, but not because of whatever sides were, were to happen. But you have to understand, like some of these guys and girls like got involved with Bitcoin and it was so purist. It was so pure. It mm-hmm. was like this thing that was just so they were in love with that to see it being fought over hurt so bad that they just they had to walk away from it. Less their their whole view and their whole life like motto would go away. Well, actually, that what you just said there, it does kind of resonate because a lot of people were very much in love with it and they were in love with um, I guess their perception of what Bitcoin was and some people did think Bitcoin was for payments and it was great for you know buying coffee 
and they felt suddenly like this thing doesn't do what it was supposed to do. And that that's also a big part of why people jumped onto that big block bandwagon. The big block bandwagon. I love that. Did you just make that up or has that been said before? <laughs> I've said it before, at least. I don't know if anyone else has. So how did you how did you get, you know, take me back a few years. How did you get involved in the space? You you were um, working at Ubisoft. So am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah. And and you started working with BTC China uh, with Bobby Lee. How did that come to be? Yeah, so I, I knew Bobby from way back. We we're social friends. And I started following Bitcoin from reading probably on TechCrunch in 2013 or so. And you know, I was watching Bobby's company, BTC China, get some press. And um, I think I reached out to him sometime around 2014. And then I went to his house for a Christmas party and he sold me a Bitcoin and uh, the apps weren't working that well. So I suggested I can come on as an advisor and help you guys a little bit. And from there, it just kind of snowballed and I had to take on more and more responsibility at the company. What was the um, 2013? What was the were you living in Canada or in China at the time? No, I was in China at the time. I think I actually met Roger Ver for the first time in 2013 at some conference backstage. What was the landscape like for Bitcoin in China back then? Was it something like big? Was it more of like a gamer thing? I think it was still pretty big. I mean, it's definitely not as big as it is now. There's a ton of awareness now, but there was a, a lot of hype and a lot of interest in Bitcoin, and at least was, at a grassroots level. They were like... Um, they were like, many times, I remember that China was trying to, to ban Bitcoin or do all you know, <laughs> FUD. Um, and it really had an effect on the Bitcoin price back then. And it probably stressed you guys out because you were, you were inside, you know, you were in the country, um, behind the curtain, if you will, running this company. And here you have this, the massive government of China saying these negative things about Bitcoin. How did you feel about that? Well, the thing is, China's never banned Bitcoin. They've uh, banned banks from dealing with cryptocurrency companies, and they've banned, uh, sorry, they've banned it from being used as a legal tender, and they've banned it from, they banned cryptocurrency exchanges basically, but they've never actually banned Bitcoin, Bitcoin ownership, or you know, trading. Sure, but it's um, more of like the, the, it's always lost in translation when you go from the from from the the the. The Communist Party of China to go from the from the to the Chinese press, and then you go the the conversion over to like the American or the Western press, if you will. There's always a huge loss in in translation there, and it always ends up being like this fud, this fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yeah, but I think that's more on the Western side. I agree. No, I totally agree with you. Yeah, they, they want press. They want clicks. So they say China bans Bitcoin. That's like the headline. Whenever, Yeah, and whenever that would come out, I'd go on Twitter and follow this guy, CN Ledger, and see what he had to say about everything. Because he was always yeah. the guy who would you know, provide clarity of, yeah. of what was going on back then. Now it's a lot better. Um, mm -hmm. But it's stressful having like your business, but also your whole life being at like you're waking up in the morning and you don't know what, it, what it's going to be like the next day. How are you running your, the bank accounts of the company? Well, you know, there. <laughs> well, you you have to come up with creative ways to deal with it. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, there's a very there are various solutions, and you go from bank to bank. But even the, even when things are operating smoothly, you still get your bank accounts shut down because you know someone might say this uh, account has some um, 
I'm still getting my account shut down right now. Well, yeah, that's bad too. But I mean, <laughs> it's running an exchange well, is difficult. Good. There's always some someone trying to mess with the fiat side of it. Did you did you enjoy it? Uh, well, looking back, I'd say yes, fondly. But at the time, probably no. It's stressful. But the funny thing about the the China ban Bitcoin, China bans Bitcoin thing is that it's it's also another growing pain because now everyone's desensitized to it, right? Yeah. That's a good word, desensitized to it. It's true. I feel like the 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 uh, the messages that come out of that now don't really affect the price of Bitcoin or even like we kind of brush it off like, oh, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Well, even when the China exchanges were shut down, I don't think the price really was impacted much. You know what's interesting? I want to ask you a question about that because that is one of those things that till today I'm I'm fuzzy on. Okay, I'll tell you why. So we had we had like there were there were a few major Chinese exchanges. There was OK. And tell me what I'm missing. There was OK Coin. There was BTC China. There was Huobi, right? The, those are the top three. Yeah, those are the big three. OK. You had massive volume. I mean, like the, the volume between those three completely eclipsed the Western volume, like completely. It was just mm-hmm. massive. And every time and there was like three or four times over like a year where you, there was a, a Bloomberg article that China has banned Bitcoin. And we're generalizing, but there was always an article, huge FUD, price dumping, whatever, whatever would happen. Um, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, and maybe I missed something, the exchanges in China just kind of like withered away or, or west, you know, moved over to the West. or But the Chinese volume just kind of like died. And, and that was it. And... There wasn't. No one really talked about it. What what happened? Well, th- that was when when we had to shut down. I think it was after I left BTC China in 2017. Sometime there was a gradual ramp down. Everyone had to shut down. But the the warning sign for that was actually, I guess. Let me think. It was summer 2016. We had like mini shutdowns at that time, and we had to revamp our whole KYC AML procedures and implement new systems. But I mean, you could tell the signs were coming. The message was clear. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. It was written. The, someone told me this analogy this morning. The, the bus drums were in the forest. And I was like, what? I was, in a, I was in a VC meeting this morning. And the guy was like, the bus drums are in the forest. I was like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> but that, that's what it, what it was. It was like you hear the drumming in the forest. You knew the signs were coming. Yeah. So that, that was why I, I pushed to launch our international exchange, the USD dollar exchange. And I think... You know, pretty much after everyone was shut down in China, everyone expanded outwards and into a lot went into Southeast Asia and you know, uh, into the U.S. There's there's Huobi Global, there's um, OKX and and you know which is the spinoff and um, CoinAll, which is their sister company or whatever. Mm-hmm. What happened to BTCC? Are they still operating? So they got bought by a Hong Kong company. Um, just uh, the deal finished, I think, shortly after I left. And since they were bought, they've been just shutting down <laughs> gradually. So the first was the mining pool, uh, BTCC pool, which was shut down. Yeah. And then um, I guess the exchanges never officially shut down. They shut down the US dollar exchange. They shut down the forwards exchange. And well, of course, they shut down the CNY exchange. But I think they relaunched it, but then there's no traction now. But it's just kind of mm. a, it's it's there, but I think it's a, Kind of a living dead zombie. I still have a lot of Bobby's poker chips. Oh yeah, you like those, right? So, oh, I love those. Oh, well, he signed. I have the. I have a bunch of full sets, and he signed them. And I'm never selling those. Those are going to be worth a lot of money down the road. Yeah, yeah. just Hopefully. like the Casacious coins. 
Yeah. Um, and now, yeah, whenever I talk to Bobby Lee, he he's messaging me to come play poker with him in Vegas. And so I was trying to figure out what's going on with the company. If, if it was still open, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Well, it's good to it, hear that it, there was a purchase. There. It's still there, but you know, I'm not sure what's happening with it now. It's good. Um, it's really that, that company and the involvement of you, Bobby and everyone um, is going down in the history books. And it's, it's really important um, because you guys were trailblazing. Right. So, I mean, for my listeners, like try to imagine what they were doing um, running this this huge Bitcoin exchange and allowing people to buy and sell Bitcoin in China at the same time the signs were clear that Bitcoin exchanges were really no longer welcome inside China and so that was a big a big thing um, a lot of us were felt like you guys were kind of playing with fire fire almost I was happy to see that that it worked out um, and then kind of like around that after did you did you leave when you left did you uh, start working with Blockstream, or was there like a period for you where you were just kind of having fun traveling around back and forth? <laughs> I think it took a month off, and uh, <laughs> it, but, but you uh, didn't plan for it to be a month. You're like, I'm going to take a few months off, and I'm not going to work. And then probably a month later, you found something new. No, actually, I, I decided to join Blockstream sometime in late 2016, but uh, the timing worked out so that in China, a lot of people were. Um, were uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They were yelling at me online saying that I left because of the shutdown. But actually, the timing was just that. It was not that I planned to leave when the exchange was shut down. I it just worked out to be around the same. But time. I have a question. Why why would they be yelling at you? I mean, I would I would leave because of the shutdown. I don't understand. <laughs> I, I guess they felt like I'm jumping ship because it's difficult or something. What what do people expect you to do? That uh, makes no sense. Tough no, it out. it makes out. Yeah, tough what out? You're gonna <laughs> Samson now versus the the the, the Communist Party of China? What is that? <laughs> Although yeah. you could probably troll them really well on Twitter. Yeah, but that's not that. that that's not interesting. That's not a good fight you want to pick. Um, yeah. So tell me about tell me about Blockstream. Um, I remember I remember actually talking to, um, and I'm not sure if he's still involved in the comment. I remember talking about talking to Austin Hill back in 2014 mm-hmm. about launching this company called Blockstream. And then I went away for two years. And then when I came out, all of a sudden Blockstream is at like the forefront of, you know, representing or not representing, but um, leading the charge for, for, for Bitcoin, for Bitcoin purity and for not allowing these, these other companies to, to try to take over and control, which was a very good thing. But what did I miss during those two years? Hmm. Let's see. It's 2014. I think uh, Blockstream was pretty much founded just before the the wars happened. So I think a lot of the early years of Blockstream were just uh, people getting pulled into these arguments and and uh, fights. And what was the 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 premise of the company? What why did you guys launch? Well, Blockstream was founded to advance R and D on sidechain technology, and the Liquid Network, which is a, a Bitcoin sidechain, is kind of like our premier focus and premier product right now. The Liquid Network allows people to move Bitcoin instantly from various um, exchanges or companies that work or wallets that 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 are willing to work on the Liquid Network. Correct? Yeah. Well, not instantly. It's a uh, Two minutes, two minute, around two minutes for final settlement, but there are one minute block time. So you can think of it as another state of Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin is like ice, then liquid is, you know, 
liquid water. So it moves faster. And then you have lightning, which is even faster. How does science, how does liquid work? So what you do is you, you peg in Bitcoin into the liquid network. And what that means is you lock it up on the main chain so that you, you can unlock it in liquid. And that way you're guaranteed there's always a one-to-one peg. So liquid only is compatible with Bitcoin in that sense. So you can't actually have more Bitcoin in liquid than you do you know, on the main chain. And then how long does it take to go from Bitcoin to liquid and back? Do you have to wait a block? Uh, I think uh, pegging in is longer. Pegging out, you can just do like uh, one to six confirmations, but pretty quick. How long does pegging in take? 102. And what type of what type of use cases do you see for for the liquid right now? Well, there's a, a lot of interesting use cases. Like the first and foremost is arbitrage. You can move money quickly between the different exchanges. So, Bitfinex is integrated, and uh, a bunch of other exchanges, Bitmex as well. So you can you know, move your coins from one to another relatively quick compared to the main chain. And you can also issue assets. Like um, you could issue tokens in the Liquid Network at the same, um, same level as Bitcoin. So if you imagine Bitcoin, you have, on the Bitcoin chain, you have Bitcoin. And you could have like, you know, another coin at the same level. It would transact the same way. You could have multi-sig wallets. That's what Liquid is. So you can have a stable coin in Liquid that has the same security level as, say, Bitcoin, technically. How do you feel about people launching tokens on Bitcoin? Well, I, I think it's, uh, well, it's not launched on Bitcoin, it's launched on Liquid. But I think it's good because Liquid's uh, gas is Bitcoin, basically. So you're using Bitcoin to move stuff around Liquid. And I think that helps the Bitcoin ecosystem overall because there's another use case for Bitcoin. If you remember, Vitalik actually tried launching Ethereum on Bitcoin, similar to what you're talking about. The Bitcoin community was so against him, he, he was forced to actually launch his own chain called Ethereum. What's what's the change now? You think if Vitalik came along and said, hey, I want to launch this on Bitcoin, you think the community would be different, would be more amenable toward, toward launching uh, you know, various layers on top of Bitcoin? See, I've never really bought into that story. I'm pretty sure... Well, there's a, there's a forum post. Yeah? Yeah, but, but, yeah, there's a forum post. The thing is, you could do whatever you want. You don't need to listen to people on the forum. And well, as far as I understand, there needed to be some 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 updates or some some you know some improvement protocols yeah. on Bitcoin in order to do it. And you guys got those through, but Vitalik wasn't able to get those through. So I'm trying to figure out why. I I, I need to reread that that post, but I think what it was is he wanted some other opcodes. But I think uh, his vision was more like spammy stuff on Bitcoin. Like, uh, but who's to say what's spam though? Like, what who defines what spam is and what spam isn't? Yeah, that's a really complicated. Remember when like <laughs> it is, and and I and I've I've literally so Luke 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 lives like very close to me here in Florida, and we've met up a few times, and like literally this always comes up in conversation. Yeah, because I remember like he believes he he thinks or he thought you know I don't want to speak for him, but um, things like Satoshi dice were spam mm-hmm. on Bitcoin, but. I was like, the whole point of Bitcoin is that no one really gets to decide what's, as long as I'm willing to pay for a transaction, if I just want to send, if I want to pay and waste money to send transactions between myself and load up the memory pool, why is that spam? I guess it really comes down to, uh, like, do the majority of people think it's good or bad, right? Like, there is Veriblock, which is, also spamming the Bitcoin blockchain and they're paying for it. So you could argue it's not spam, but it has really nothing to do with Bitcoin. It's just like another chain that's 
using Bitcoin in in its own benefit, I guess. But that would be a it actually but it further grows and brings more users to the Bitcoin chain. Wait, I just want to make sure that our listeners don't confuse Veriblock with Veritasium because they're completely different things. They say I I've known people who confuse the two. Okay. And I don't know if you saw the news today. But I can't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Reggie Middleton's Veritasium got um, subpoenaed by the SEC because it was a big ICO scam. But uh, they're completely different things. Okay. Fair. But yeah, I mean, like if you think of Bitcoin as uh, the purpose of Bitcoin is to transact Bitcoin, then this thing has nothing to do with Bitcoin. So I, I would just classify it as spam, even though it's paying fees. Right. It's like you're using email to you know, get email that's sent to you, but someone that's, it, 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 there's no direct analogy. Basically, I, I think uh, I would classify certain things as spam, even if they're paying the fees, because that's not the point of the Bitcoin network. What's the point of, the, I know this is like a stupid question, but I, I'm, I guess I'm not trying to like um, create a question that can't be answered, because I know full well that these questions can't be answered. Yeah. I guess my point is that like, I used to always think Bitcoin is or Bitcoin should be this. I'm I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like when when um, I got involved and this is what I thought. I was like, I want you know, I think Bitcoin is this or Bitcoin should be this. But then I'm like, over the years, I guess I've learned that who am I? I still call myself a kid, but who am I to like say Bitcoin is this or Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is what I want it to be and I'll use it. But I guess as long as I'm not preventing someone else from doing what they want to do with it, then I'm not really doing harm. But I guess your point is your point and tell me if I'm wrong is if I'm going out and doing something that I want to do and spamming the network, I'm harming it in a way and preventing other people from doing what they want to do. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'd say there's two ways to define spam. One is if they're paying, it's not spam, right? That's the, the most open argument for for spam, I guess, that if you're paying, it's not spam. But I think if you're if you're doing something with the Bitcoin blockchain that has nothing to do with Bitcoin, then I would classify that as spam. There's a very controversial, uh, and you know, there's a very controversial, um, and I take the I take an extreme side. There's a very controversial argument or debate out there, um, and to someone like Luke, who actually says we need to make blocks smaller. Mm-hmm. But I believe, and, and me, Char, I, I am okay with, and I, I want to pay $5 for a transaction knowing that this transaction is se- super secure, more secure, t- t- 10 times more than, the, than secure the blockchain network is today. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to pay for that. And so if, if it costs more to send value over the inter- internet on a network that literally can never be reversed by any supercomputer in the whole entire world, I am willing to pay for that. Mm-hmm. But as you know, the other camp says, no, we need to have a lot less secure, but be able to send transactions extremely cheaply. And we're somewhere in the middle right now. Um, there are certain times of the day where it's really cheap to send Bitcoin, but some some points in the day where it's more expensive to to send Bitcoin. Now, the block size is what it is today. Um, you know, there are camps that want to decrease the block size, make it more decentralized and make it um, more decentralized and a lot more secure because you have a lot more nodes um, validating blocks on the network. And 
but it will cost more to send Bitcoin because blocks are smaller. It takes more time. People are increasing their fees. I'm like, okay with that. Not decreasing the block size because again, I'm not technically savvy enough to like make informed like decisions on that, mm-hmm. but I want a more secure network. I'm here. I'm here. The reason I'm here and I got involved is because I want to see a, a monetary system that is so secure, that is so decentralized that no one can even fathom reversing, freezing, or taking control of this network. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm okay too to pay high fees because you just have to think of like what the alternative is. And a lot of people probably have not done a bank wire transfer. So I recent, I think a month ago, I did a wire transfer to someone. And you know, on our side, we paid their usual $20, $25 fee. And then when the guy received it, he's like, why am I short 25 bucks? Like, didn't you uh, pay the fee? And I had to tell him, no, we paid our fee, but that's your fee from your bank. So any wire transfers, you know, at least 40 to $50. If you're not at a minimum. Yeah. If you're not in Europe. Oh yeah. Right? At a minimum, you're paying $15 on each side. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, so we're okay paying $30 to have an instant domestic wire transfer. <laughs> I have to send a wire transfer later today, but I'm okay sent paying that $30 because you're moving large amounts of money. But I guess the, the other side will say that that's not what Bitcoin is supposed to be, that how are we going to get people to believe that it's it's a secure network if 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 not? But then you have companies like you that are building out these these layers on top of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So the, and the, building up those small payments, they can be done. They can be done on Lightning. But, you know, there are people that, like you said, love Bitcoin and they love it in its original form, which was. Uh, very cheap on-chain fees and not many people were using it then. But it wasn't secure. Yeah, well, it's relative. It's always relative to the network size, right? So back then, maybe it was secure, but... There was no economic incentive to try to do a 51% of the network. But if you look at the numbers back in 2012 or 2013, it was, by, by today's numbers, relatively cheap. Any major company could afford to do it. It's hard to say because the hardware was not there that time, right? Like the there's always a bottleneck for getting more hash rate. So either you got to buy everyone's existing hash rate or make your own, and that's a slow process. Etoro is crypto trading made easy. It's one of the largest and smartest trading platforms in the world with extraordinarily low and transparent fees. Join myself and 11 million other traders and create an account at etoro.com. Links in the show notes and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. As a mining equipment broker, Scott Offered wants to make sure his clients are well-informed and making data-backed business decisions. Scott created the only free online tool for calculating profitability and days to ROI for miners. It's a better way to compare the efficiency of various models of ASIC miners and to see how the price of the miner and the efficiency impacts your mining profitability. So check it out at CryptoMining.Tools and find Scott on Telegram and Twitter at O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. That's O-F-F-O-R-D. S-C-O-T-T. Back then, you'd have to buy all the hash rate to attack the network or buy a good chunk of hash rate to attack, or you'd have to create your own ASICs. And you know, that takes a lot of time and money. But in theory, the cost would be something, a number, where now it is a much higher number, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes, but it's always relative to the, to the time period. So back in 2012, yes, it would be cheap for today, but back then it would be... You know, it'd be very prohibitive to do so. I think. Good. That's 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 a that's the whole point. That's a good thing. Yeah. 
So there's like always a, I guess a lever system where you look for rich user experience. And that's, you know, as you know, there's a lot of complaints over Lightning's user experience at this Mm -hmm. point, and it's it's getting better every day. But there's like a lever system between rich user experience and security and privacy. So as one goes up, the other one generally goes down. And look, look look at Facebook, look at Twitter, you know, I mean, like, we give more data and our life becomes more convenient. Yep. Um, generally speaking, things that provide you more security and more privacy require a lot more effort. Tor, VPNs, even using hardware wallets. It's much easier to use a custodial solution, which is why Coinbase exists today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think at some point, and it's already happening, the the equilibrium between a really good user experience and security and privacy are going to be all at the same like level. Yeah, I, I would extend that a bit and just say, you know, you can have a pretty good user experience. You, you have good user experience when the service is centralized. Whenever it's actually like self-hosted, self-managed, then there is a lot more work to be done to, to enjoy it, right? Like you can actually have hosted uh, or custodial lightning wallets. And but is that a there are like like blue wallet yeah, or whatever yeah. but um but is that a problem like is that a not a problem but is that is that like a flaw well you, it depends who you talk to i mean there are purists that say well like it's so bad that lightning has custodial wallets but we also have custodial on-chain bitcoin wallets too right so it's kind of inevitable you you will always have someone that can provide a custodial service and the experience is always going to be Probably better than better. non-custodial, right? And like, frankly, you shouldn't be holding tens of millions of dollars or whatever it is on these custodial solutions and needing to be moving them around. Um, mm-hmm. like, and it shouldn't be really simple. You talk to someone, you know, like, yeah, you have 10 grand, you keep it in a bank account and you just don't think about it. It's easy. Mm-hmm. But if you're someone who's like a billionaire or even has a few million dollars, you're paying a lot more attention to how the money's being managed. So there is like a lot more work to be done when you're talking about larger amounts of money, moving larger amounts of money around the world too. Yeah. So there is like, it's okay to like, it's okay for it to, to require more work. Yeah, it is okay to require more work. And you, I think you just have to understand there is a cost to managing money. A lot of people grew up today just not understanding that. There's no concept of having to take care of your own stuff, to manage your own money, to safeguard your own money because it's in the bank. But there are drawbacks to having your money in the bank, right? If you have negative interest rates, then you're losing money by putting it in the bank. But most people just don't have that concept of needing to maintain something. They're just spoiled. Negative interest rates like are so crazy that we're even talking about it, right? You just brought it up. But I mean, it just it's so beyond me that you have banks in Europe that literally are charging negative interest for, for a mortgage. It's insane. Mm -hmm. How, how do we get, how did we get to this point? I think it's just a symptom of the fiat money system. Manipulated and controlled systems that, um, that really don't work long-term. So speaking of manipulated and controlled payment systems and currencies, what do you see the future of Bitcoin cash and, and Bitcoin SV or BSV. I I don't even know what it is. I'm going to get trolled now because I, I call them centralized 
fiat <laughs> which they are actually. well they are uh, like they, uh, yeah they are you're gonna get trolled they're paying a lot of people right now to post stuff like you see hundreds of accounts popping up and trying it's to getting worse than the ripple army yeah it's pretty unbelievable that it could come to that point but i think they're getting desperate and they're getting desperate because they know it's not working their whole thesis and it's important that we, we remind people is that bigger blocks are really important but no they're not because no one's using them no one's using them and no one's buying it. So the price is just going down. And the sad thing is that these guys don't understand how bad they are. I mean, like they should definitely not be talking about anything publicly or representing any cryptocurrency publicly because they're just so bad. And anyone that looks at what <laughs> they do and what they say is just cringing. A lot of people, uh, you know, this is a great quote someone said. It's like, if this if any project or currency or token has this like army you know this like cult following that goes against you um um that's like a problem in itself i posted i posted a negative article not a negative article but i, I post i wrote an article yesterday that Chainlink the devs dumped like fifty <laughs> percent of all oh, man. the token. I, I wrote an article on my Twitter, and dude, I'm getting killed for it right now. Oh, like man. I'm literally people are posting YouTube videos, but I didn't even. I, I'll be honest, I didn't even know much about Chainlink until yesterday. Yeah. So, the, but I just looked at the facts. The same thing happened to me. I think two months ago, someone tagged <laughs> Charlie on a thread, and I don't know. I think I. I Charlie responded and said something like, yeah, I didn't invest in this. I did not invest in this thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was that Chainlink too? Yeah, that was Chainlink too. And then I just saw Charlie's thing and I popped up and I go, holy crap, what is this thing? And then these guys all pounced on me and started making memes and they went on for days. I just blocked them all, but it took a long time. If anyone has an army, have you noticed like Bitcoin doesn't have an army? Why don't you see, why don't you see like, like that? Why don't, why do you always see like, um, BSV and Bcash people put in their Twitter profiles and XRP like in Tron and Chainlink and you see it like in their Twitter profiles they're all over but you don't see like Bitcoin yeah. you don't see that at all like ever yeah because uh, <laughs> Bitcoin's actually no, we don't need it. Bitcoin's valuable you don't want to go and advertise you have Bitcoin right that's just stupid <laughs> but for these things <laughs> that's a good point I never thought of it like that they're worthless so yeah you got to pump that and keep it alive or else it's gonna die. That's I think I never really thought of it. And probably a lot of people are listening and saying, like, think of it like how many Twitter handles do you see where it's like, you know, in the handle of parentheses, it's like Bitcoin for life yeah. or whatever. Like maybe for for fun and like cool people are doing it, but you don't see like the the Bitcoin troll armies. And I and I'm still in like a lot of Facebook groups where people are still like debating bigger blocks. And I'm like, I almost want to say like, hey, like this argument is like so 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but they're kind of like newer or falling into like like the problem this is the problem the problem is and it's not anyone's fault except for rogers but a lot of people go to bitcoin.com yeah um unfortunately that's i think the the biggest problem today is bitcoin.com if you were to say to me charlie like what's one of the biggest problems in bitcoin today i will say bitcoin.com because um and I, you want to hear a funny story i know this is untold stories of <laughs> of you but I want to tell you a funny story. Sure. I hope the people are not listening to the episode that I'm going to tell the story of. So I'm in a I'm in a WhatsApp group, right? And I'm like debating. Um, I got really into it because I was really against Bitcoin.com because a lot of people are like going on Bitcoin.com and buying Bitcoin cash and thinking about that it's Bitcoin. And I know it's like, yeah, you say it, but like it actually happened to friends of mine. Um, it's happened to friends of mine sucks. too. 
it sucks. Yeah. It's it's complete bait and switch. Yep. And I'm really pissed off about it. Um, so there's this guy who I like him a lot, and I still do, but he kind of fell under the spell and works at um at um at Bitcoin dot dot com. I don't want to say his name, but he he's a really nice guy. I've known him for many years, and he kind of fell under the spell, and he just like talks the he just talks like the talk and just like the lingo, you know. But you could tell he doesn't really like believe it, but he's so far invested in it that he doesn't really have like a choice anymore. And he still goes to conferences and dinners and he's very and he's still a nice guy, you know. But he finds himself having to defend like Roger all the time because he's very publicly known. Mm-hmm. At, and if you can figure out this person's name, don't say it because I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. But what happened was and it was so awkward, dude, like I was in a in a WhatsApp group and I was debating him and another person. And I was, I guess I was in a bad mood and me and this other person were like, dude, like, you know, this is bullshit. Like Bitcoin.com is such a scam. You know, this is bullshit. And you know, you guys are bait and switching. You know, it's fraud. You know, you're stealing from people. And I'm in an Uber on the way to this dinner um, for a bunch of like, it's like a Bitcoin meetup dinner. And I'm more like, it's getting so heated. My wife is like, why are you sweating? You know, I was like getting so angry because like, this is a private group, like, like you can drop the facade like it's us mm-hmm. we're your friends you know like drop the facade already you know and then we get to the dinner and he's there and i, I didn't know that and it was so awkward because <laughs> you're like debating in a whatsapp group and then here you are like and i was like dude like let's just have a nice dinner yeah i think a lot of people just have bags and they you know, they, there's nothing they can do about that <laughs> except for hope and maintain maintain the party line, right? And that's why you have these kind of uh, idiosyncrasies where you know that guy can't believe this, but he's standing up for Roger. So the good thing the good thing is that a lot of this stuff is behind us, and Bitcoin has been doing some really great things in the research and development front over the past few months, uh, past year or so, even longer than that. Blockstream, you guys have done some amazing things. You you know you talk you talk you talk the talk, but you also walk the walk, which is great. Launching Liquid, as we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. and it's good to see like you know Bitmex and, and other exchanges utilizing it. We talk about side chains. One thing I have to say is I'm really struggling with my damn satellite. Like I, <laughs> I I'm not technically set. It's hard. Yes, it is hard. Cause I have, I have, okay. So I got the dish. I set up the dish. I got the LN supply. I set that up. It's, it's looking at one of your satellites, but the software part and all that I'm, I'm running into. So, you know, what the problem with Linux is, <laughs> is that, there's always something that you don't have yeah. and then you have to install and then you have to install something else to install that. Yeah. And it's like a never ending thing. Yeah, I know we're, we're, we're working on it. So we're probably going to launch a kit, like a plug and play kit. Please. They just plug it Please. into your hook addition to it and you're done because yeah, it, it is hard. But like you said, like anything where you're, um, you know, self custodial is, uh, is hard, right? You gotta, cause I'm going to run the first one on the boat. I have a satellite dish that I can push a bunch of buttons and it could, the dish is self-turning so it can, it can locate any satellite I want it to and maintain contact with that. So if the boat's moving, um, the satellite dish will move with it to follow the satellite. So I don't, and I don't use direct TV. So I want to use the dish on the boat and run my own node. And then it could be really cool for me to like be running on my boat, uh, on my own node, but also like be getting blocks from space. Awesome. 
You gotta. That's what I want to be the first one to do. Okay. That. We'll we'll help you. We'll help you get set up. I'm struggling right now. I'll send uh, Grubles out to help you. He's our satellite. Please guy. do. My my good friend Leonard here. He he runs a Bitcoin ATM company, and he thinks he can figure it out. The problem is that the software to operate that satellite that I have on the boat, um, I think it's closed source, and it's a it's a it's a pretty well known company. It's called TrackVision, yeah. and all the satellite dishes on all boats are pretty much like run by this company. So I have to figure out a way for your software to talk to to the to the dish itself, right? And make sure it constantly maintains on the satellite. <laughs> okay, sounds good. That's that's what I really want to do. I'm like. I'm oh I'm I'm such a geek about this stuff. Um, when the satellite launched, that that idea that was like brilliant. Um, I thought because I think for now at least it's symbolic, but it creates a question. Um, so for those who don't know, Blockstream, I get ahead of myself a lot. Blockstream launched um, the ability. Um, you guys partnered with a bunch of different um, dish companies. No, we we lease um, space. Satellite. We lease space. Okay, so you lease space. And what's interesting about that, because someone said, well, they can just shut down the satellites. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't. Because DirecTV runs off those satellites. And if you take football away from America, <laughs> then America's going to fucking revolt. Yeah, the beautiful thing about satellites is you can't really stop the signal, right? You, There's nothing you can do. You can't, well, maybe you could jam it, but it'd be, you'd be like, like you said, you'd be jamming football or whatever else is on the yeah. satellite. So tell, tell the, but tell the listeners why that's important and why you guys did that. Right, so I, I guess fundamentally... Blockstream is building on top of Bitcoin. Everything is built on Bitcoin. Liquid is on Bitcoin. Lightning is on Bitcoin. Um, you know, we are very focused on building out the Bitcoin ecosystem and making Bitcoin more robust. And because we're building all this stuff on Bitcoin, we need to make sure that Bitcoin itself is um, resistant to uh, completely censorship resistant yeah, network splits or anything no like that. What. So, with Blockstream Satellite, you can have a country cut off from the internet. And as long as one person in the country is still running the dish and running their node and they're connected to everyone else, then they'll keep that country in sync because you can't have these network splits where some transactions may be considered valid in this country and not the other country. So Blockstream Satellite fixes that. Are there any other plans to launch the ability to have like pigeon carriers or or non-internet based um, um, block or Bitcoin blockchain um, What's the word when it spreads to get to get like whatever, like <laughs> pigeons or anything like well, that? Paper? I've seen a meme about <laughs> about a uh, pigeon delivering Bitcoin, but I think uh, it's not happening anytime soon. But we do have a partnership with Gotenna so that we can. Uh, oh, that's a cool company. Yeah, yeah. that's so that company's actually used um, on boats a lot. Mm. And so if you have one, yeah, it's actually very cool that you mentioned that. So there's this whole. Co- so there's this whole community. There's if there if you Google like boats in the ocean, um, there's a website where you can pull up a Google Maps and see all boats in all the global oceans. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of fucking boats in the oceans. But these are only major boats, like container ships. These are not boats that are like under fifty feet, which are the ma- the, the so like whatever you see on that map, the amount of boats that are out there are like ten times greater. Um and so most boats talk to each other and talk to central like beacons through VHF radio, but it's only like 10 miles. Um, Gotenna um, has the ability for, to create this mesh network. And so if I want to talk to a boat, who's let's just say 50 kilometers away, if there are enough Gotennas in between, Mm -hmm. then I can talk to that boat. Um, Why is this important? Because eventually, because there are so many boats in the water, eventually they want to have the ability 
to be able to prop. Uh, that's what the word I was looking at, propagate, mm. propagate blocks, but also just be able to, you know, um, the old, like, um, if you want to get a message across and there's no internet, um, or you're trying to get a message to somewhere where there is no internet or something's wrong, then you can utilize this mesh network. So if you're talking about putting Bitcoin blocks, propagating them on with Gotenna, that's that's pretty great because you're virtually by doing that. Be it's it, it's another internet that no one really talks about. Mm -hmm. It's not a it's not a there there isn't a lot of bandwidth ability because these devices are small, but it it is another internet. Yeah. Well, I, I think you can't push a block through Gotenna. They're, they're too low bandwidth, but you can push transactions through, and that's our integration with them. So you can get, uh, you can push up a data, push up a transaction through your offline satellite node through the Gotenna network and backwards. That's awesome. Where do you see the future of Blockstream? Where do you see the future of Bitcoin um, a few years from now? Your answer is going to be is is different than I always ask my guests towards the end of the show because I'm curious on what they think. But I mean, where do you see us in five years from now? Well, f I think in four years, I think we'll see mass adoption of Lightning. Why four? Because uh, I predicted it last year, <laughs> so I'm just following through. <laughs> in four years, we'll see a lot of uh, Lightning adoption and uh, for retail payments and such. I think we'll see major point of sales terminals integrating Lightning and that means you can spend Bitcoin pretty much everywhere. Um, but is you think that Bitcoin adoption in like local stores was hindered by the fact that it just takes too long for a block to come through? And Satoshi himself even said that unconfirmed transactions shouldn't be counted as settled. Yeah, definitely. Like Bitcoin is not a payment system. It's if you look at the design from a high level, it's nothing like what a payment system should be. It is a settlement network, and a lot of people argue. It wasn't built. Okay, yeah, a lot, good a lot of people argue yeah. against that and said, "No, no, no." But it really is because. But Satoshi's yeah. vision, Samson. Yeah, I know. I'll never get into that camp. They'll <laughs> never accept me. But yeah, it's not <laughs> high speed. Like you, it's you, such a cult. You can't go into a store and buy something and make them wait, like, or make the customer wait, or anything like that. It just doesn't work. You have to unless you're like going in and buying like a hundred thousand dollar car or something, then you're gonna wait freaking ten minutes. Have an espresso. Yeah, that's fine, but you, you don't want to buy the espresso and wait ten minutes, right? Yep. No, that's that's a good point. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think in like five, probably ten years, maybe ten years, I think Bitcoin will be at the base of a new financial system for the world. So everything will be powered by Bitcoin. Will it be like a stable coin type thing or will Bitcoin volatility kind of like taper off? Well, I think we have some time before volatility tapers off, but I, I think there will be a, a lot of um, ancillary financial systems built on top of Bitcoin. So one thing that I'm hopeful for is that we see um, security tokens take off. And if they're issued in liquid, then they're all compatible with Bitcoin. You can do uh, single chain atomic swaps for, you know, like stock for Bitcoin or you can already do that for stable coins in Bitcoin. We can have uh, atomic swaps between Tether, liquid Tether, and liquid Bitcoin. Samson, you, I just want to interrupt you for a second. The reason liquid is so important and, and doing things on the Bitcoin chain is so important is for, is for security reasons, right? But why don't people take that seriously? Like, why isn't the security of the network not taken seriously enough? Um, have we not seen... A, a major like like have we not seen enough 51 percent attacks have we not seen enough 
um, network uh, project or you know network takedowns of other coins and tokens before people say, hey, maybe we actually need to be doing things on a secure network. Like, why don't people, why is that never in a conversation? I should never say never, but like rarely in conversation. I think people generally just don't care. They just see that there's an opportunity to make money and that's it, right? Like technically a lot of exchanges should not list a lot of coins because that means they have to run run the uh, the client or node of that software. And if something happens, who do you think they're going to blame? They'll blame the project, but but they're also blaming the exchanges. If you're keeping money of a token, you don't know better on Coinbase and Coinbase lists one of these scam exchanges, you're going to go after Coinbase. You're not going to go after this other. I mean, you go after both, but you're going to go for the pockets. Yeah. You're going to say that Coinbase should have had the smarts not to list a project that was endangering their clients. Yeah, you could say that. I mean, doesn't Coinbase have a lawsuit being filed against them for... Uh... They have a lot of lawsuits filed. Every major Bitcoin company probably has lawsuits filed against them. Yeah. But we just don't know about them. You're you're right. I mean, they, a lot of exchanges should not list these things because it can harm their users. And security should be a consideration. So for Bitcoin, the security is derived from the hash rate, proof of work, mining. And from Liquid, it's derived from the federation. And you know, we spend a lot of time on security testing and making sure Liquid has adequate measures taken to prevent loss of funds or, you know, frozen accounts like parity and ethereum but you know oh, yeah. a lot of people just don't care i think especially the ethereum you, folks just really don't care about security at all what do you think of proof of stake i mean do you think it's like i think it defies the laws of physics it, it, but i'm not a it's perpetual energy there's a lot of problems with okay. proof of stake and y- you can kind of yeah wait well, but perpetual energy doesn't make sense because how do you you energy can't be created or or I'm saying energy can only be transferred. It can't be created or destroyed. Yeah. So how is this created, this energy that you're talking about? Well, it depends. Like if it's Ethereum and they're doing proof of work right now and they're going to trend, they're going to transition to proof of stake, then okay, good point. you can say, okay, now it's uh, not consuming all the energy. But the analogy I take is if security is energy, which it is for Bitcoin, and you're boiling a pot of water, right? To boil, to keep water at a boil, you have to keep inputting energy in the form of heat, right? And when you say you're going to transition to a proof of stake, it's like you built this contraption to put on top of the pot of water that's going to recycle the steam into more energy to heat the water. And that's your security. Well, it'll just degrade over time because that's not eventually it doesn't work that way. So that's, that's a very good analogy. If you I'm going if to you, use that in speeches. Yeah. If you keep boiling the water, then you have security. That's proof of work. But Anytime you try to remove it, it'll just degrade over time. And it's even funnier for proof of stake coins that try to boot up from zero, right? That's just like saying we magically are secure because you know, what you're doing is dividing up a number of coins between, let's say, for simplicity reasons, 10 people. And these 10 people are going to you know, secure the network by validating transactions. But that, it, there, first of all, there's a snowball effect. So if the there is a payment schedule for generating new coins and Whoever holds more coins will get more and more over time, and it'll centralize to con- control will be centralized to those people that have more, right? But still, like you can't just take ten people and say we made something; it's secure, and there's no energy input. I think that's like my that was my whole my point earlier. You you uh, you grew on that, and your analogy is actually very good, and I'm going to use it. Um, but I guess is what I never thought of the transfer from proof of work into proof of stake, a transfer of energy. That was already created. I, I never did that before. So that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you for 
helping me debate myself later. <laughs> no worries. Um, so I guess the last question I have for you is, um, not question, but I'm going to make a statement and tell me if you disagree with me or not. Sure. Um, environmentalism. I wrote an article a few months ago saying that actually Bitcoin is proof of work is the best thing that could have ever happened for the environmental movement. And the fact that these green parties aren't like embracing Bitcoin, in fact, like fighting Bitcoin is completely beyond me because up until proof of work existed, there was no real incentive, like financial incentive to create or to invest in alternative and uh, more efficient and cheaper and safer energy. And in fact, you read these stories that in China and other places, uh, mining groups are paying for building of dams and, and hydroelectric, pl hydroelectric plants and things like that, solar farms, in order to mine for um, Bitcoin. And in fact, like you're not seeing energy being diverted away from hospitals to mine for Bitcoin. Why aren't they or do, would you do you disagree or agree with me? And why aren't these, you know, these like environmental groups embracing proof of work? I think it, yeah. So I agree with you. First off, and I think it has to do Thank with you. people. The show's are, over. <laughs> people are very bad at math. You know, they they can't. They can easily calculate. Okay, like you know, this. Uh, there was some guy crit critiquing blockstream mining, saying, "Oh my God, it's three hundred uh, million watts." I saw that the other day. Yeah. This is, that's why I'm breaking this up. Yeah. I, I weep for humanity, you know. But <laughs> that's because you can calculate it that this is consuming this much power. But how much power is the fiat printing press presses of the world consuming to maintain that? Uh, to maintain ATM networks, you know, to truck physical cash around from location to location you know, with gas powered vehicles or what about gold mining? Um, what about storage of gold? What about melting gold, reforging gold, um, moving gold around the world that this all consumes energy, but it's not readily calculatable. So people just go, oh, well, Bitcoin consumes a lot. And I did the simple multiplication and, you know, bad Bitcoin. That's a very good point. Um, and I want to end with that. How can people follow you on on Twitter, on on you run your you actually have your own show with with Rick and with Charlie, uh, Magical Crypto Friends. Yeah. How can people follow that and follow what you're doing? So my Twitter handle is uh, Excelion, E-X-C-E-L-L-I-O-N. And our, yeah, our show is Magical Crypto and we're on Twitter as well at Magical Crypto. You know, most people, a lot of people, their original uh crypto nicknames or bitcoin nicknames are their like original gaming nicknames yeah so i'm assuming that was yours yes um <laughs> my i'm assuming that was rick's fluffy pony i don't know i'm assuming but um yeah my original handle on the bitcoin talk forums and eventually my investors said you have to stop using it like use your your real name but it was yankee ah. and and the reason it was yankee was because i was you know i played a lot of unreal tournament 2004 oh yeah um yeah, yeah, that was my game. Like everyone has their game. That was my. I was like super good at it, and I played it religiously every day. Um, I was in a clan, and my clan was was really good, and we played a lot of tournaments. And I was the only American in the clan, <laughs> so um, that's they they bestowed that nickname to me as Yankee. Um, <laughs> and so like we'd be on Teamspeak, and we had, um, and that would you know I'd be the only American there. It yeah. was like guys like Doctor Phil was one of their names, and I think our I forget our clan's name was. 
the the cabal of killer clowns huh. and we were we were a ut 2004 um clan and we played a lot and that was my name yankee so when i got involved in bitcoin i just named my forum post was yankee yeah so excelion is actually my lineage 2 handle uh that's a mmorpg but i played that oh nice yeah i played it pretty hardcore excellent samson thank you so much for coming on the show i really appreciate it and i can't wait to to release this yeah thanks charlie looking forward to it hey everyone thanks for listening this episode of untold stories is sponsored by scott offered the creator of crypto mining scott's a broker of asic mining gear and helps people buy and sell their miners he created a bitcoin mining profitability calculator and an interactive asic hardware comparison chart that you can find at CryptoMining.Tools. It's the only free online tool for calculating profitability and days to ROI. That includes the impact of the Bitcoin block reward having. The calculator lets you put in your estimated uptime to give you a more realistic profit projections. So check it out and find Scott on Telegram and Twitter at O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. New episodes go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. EST. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter, Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. See you next week.